Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's a bunch of cool stuff, so let's just jump right into it and see what we got. Dan and Kristoff have just added a pretty cool new feature to the PS1 Digital, um, and the feature is kind of a a multi-step rollout, so I wanted to go over exactly what's going on and what to expect if you're a user of the PS1 Digital, but the feature itself is per game settings. So each time you change a game, you don't have to set all of the settings, it'll save it for you. And there's a few things to note about this. First, that only a few of the individual settings are being saved per game at the moment, but I spoke to Kristoff and he said he planned on adding a lot more, if not all of them, uh, within, you know, within a reasonable amount of time, weeks, months, whatever it is. It's a feature that's coming fairly soon, but I think it's an important feature because if you take a step back and you think about how many times you might want to change the settings to get the best out of the PS1 digital for each game. It's quite often for me. So a couple of easy examples. Um, I always like to have it set to weave deinterlace so there's no flicker on the screen. But for games that don't just have menus that are interlaced, but actual gameplay, that weave interlaced effect kind of drives me crazy. So I would want those automatically set to Bob D interlacing. In games with 3D graphics, I almost always want either stage one or stage Q, HQ2X, but some games look better with stage one, some look better with stage two. And even to that point, uh, I think some games with 2D graphics might look better at their sharpest, which is sending the TV 1080p, whereas other games might look better if you send your TV uh, 960p and let it sh- uh, soft scale everything to the native vertical resolution of your TV. So not all of those settings are available per game at the moment. I don't think resolution is. I believe HQ2X is. Uh, but you kind of need this update in order to get the next one that adds this. So this is like the building blocks for the next update. And that's the other thing that's worth mentioning is this time only, you don't have to do this forever, but you're going to need to do kind of a double update. So um, do the update the same way I showed in the PS1 digital in-depth look. Basically just connect to your Wi-Fi, check, download, flash, and reboot. Um, And then after you flashed, you have to go back and download again. And the reason for this is the new firmware is what says, hey, I need to look for the game database file in order to be able to tell which game is inserted and have per game settings. So you have to do the firmware update first for it to even know to look for that file. Um, And then you could just go back and re-download. You don't have to reflash. You don't have to reboot or anything like that. Uh, And even if you try to, it'll say everything's already flashed. uh, So just go back and hit download and you should get the the screen that I see right or that I show right here. And that's pretty much it. So per game settings are something that uh, that's pretty interesting. And it's really going to tie in a lot with the X station and with the MemCard Pro. Uh, And I think 
power users of PlayStation 1 original hardware would, are really going to appreciate the, the combination of these three, especially with what all of them could do together. But I'll have more info on that soon, hopefully within a week or so. Um, and any more info, please check out the original uh, in-depth look at the PS1 Digital. Check out this post, and I'll have more info on all that stuff soon. The team behind the Sega Saturn Shiro podcast has just released an hour-long documentary about the Sega Saturn version of Virtua Racing, and it absolutely sucked me in. I really thoroughly enjoyed this start to finish. Um, it includes a bunch of really cool stuff, like interviews with one of the original developers, um, behind-the-scenes look at how and why the game got made the way it did. And while I, I never like to spoil anything, movies, videos, TV shows, uh, a few things that I will absolutely mention that get talked about pretty early on anyway, the game wasn't actually a port of the arcade game. They kind of had to just remake the game by sight, which is incredible and I loved hearing the story behind all of it and it certainly explained a lot of the differences and also the VR in the title is actually Virtua Racing so technically the title of the game is Time Warner Interactive's Virtua Racing Virtua Racing I just thought people might get a little bit of a kick out of that one so uh, I highly recommend checking it out and also if you're a big fan of Virtua Racing check out the DF Retro video on all of the different versions as well as both of the Genovi videos um, I, I honestly liked all three and if you're a fan of the game they're all absolutely worth watching uh, maybe one of these days I'll be able to pick up an original Virtua Racing cab and, and have that but I think uh, I think I need space for you know just all my monitors that are in storage before I could start hunting down one of those, but it's definitely on my list of, like, dream things to maybe someday pick up. Retro Gamer Store has just opened pre-orders on those clear Super Nintendo shells that I talked about last week. The price for me came to $118 total, which included shipping, uh, but that, I believe, was an introductory price. I think they're $10 more now total, and, you know, it's expensive, but you are getting, as long as they're the same quality as the other shells that Retro Gamer Store sold, you're going to be getting a pretty high-quality item. Uh, the only confusion still is what exactly are the motherboards that are compatible? I spoke to them about it, and they said they think they can get compatibility for everything, but the list of motherboards that have already been tested and confirmed are right here in the post. So um, if you're on the fence, if you have a different model and you don't really want to chance it, then maybe hold off and see until there's another announcement. But at the very least, if you have one of these models and you were looking for a clear shell, then definitely pick it up now. Um, I don't know of anybody else working on a clear shell or even a replacement shell, to be honest. And the only other thing that I was kind of curious about is, uh, this is obviously a prototype shown, but I did kind of wonder what else would be clear. Would the cartridge flap be clear? How are they going to handle the IO port and back, which is soldered on? Um, what about the eject button? I actually think it looks really cool with the original, but uh, hopefully more details will surface. As soon as I get mine, I'll obviously put up um, a post and hopefully even a video on it too, because the Super Nintendo is my favorite console, so stuff like this is always really interesting to me. But overall, it looks like it's going to be a really great choice as a replacement for any cracked or yellowed original console shells. Doom has just been ported to the Mega Everdrive Pro via developer Unique Games. 
This is a really interesting port in that it uses the FPGA chip on the Mega EverDrive Pro in order to offload a lot of the processing, much like the SVP chip did for Virtua Racing and all the Super FX games did on the Super Nintendo. So this isn't something that would be able to run on original hardware without the Mega EverDrive Pro. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because I, I always appreciate and love stuff like this. You could technically say that maybe it's not running on original hardware because it's running off the FPGA, but if you were to say that, then technically you could say that Star Fox wasn't really running on the Super Nintendo either, and uh, I don't really think that's the case for either of these. Um, I, I think it's an awesome port, and it was really fun to play, and I just love to see stuff like this happen because it's such a unique and, and interesting and weird thing to do. Uh, it's available for download right from the links here in the post. And I know this is something that was first shown on Twitter a few weeks ago, but I wanted to hold off to write a post on it because I actually had trouble with mine where every time I tried to launch the game, it would just go to a green screen. So I worked with Unique Games, um, who was able to figure out exactly what was wrong with it and put out a new version that doesn't have that issue. The version or the issue seemed to be tied to the Mega EverDrive Pro and not the console because I tried it on like 10 different different consoles ranging from stock to completely triple bypassed and everything else uh, but doesn't really matter now these links are for the latest version that seem to work perfect on all versions of the mega everdrive pro i don't believe it could work on any other version of the everdrive because you need that specific fpga for it to run properly but overall it's awesome if you have one of those uh, one of those ROM carts and you like Doom, I would absolutely recommend giving it a try just for the heck of it. Uh, versions with and without music are available depending on if you just want a smaller download or not. Uh, but I definitely recommend checking it out. Speaking of cool stuff for the Sega Genesis, Billy Time Games has been creating patches that allow games that don't originally have save game support to now automatically save after each level or group of levels. And I think this is a really awesome idea because it's something that could be applied to ROMs and run on original hardware via ROM carts or emulation or pretty much any way that you could play a ROM, but it also totally changes the way certain games are played. And, you know, some games like uh, DuckTales is one that I always mention in the Mega Man games. Part of the the enjoyment of those games is playing each level over and over and learning the patterns of the level and getting really good at them so you can get through. And I think games like that may really benefit from not having a save support. Whereas the opposite, the games like Metroid and Zelda, I mean, I couldn't imagine playing either of those games in one sitting, even with cheat codes or anything like that. The whole point of games like that are the exploration and really just checking things out, getting new items, all of the wonderful things that you would love about those games. But then there's the games that kind of fall in the middle, like the Sonic games are the ones that I always use as an example, because in order to beat those, you have to play them over and over, learn where you can get all of the Chaos Emeralds, learn how to blow through the levels as quickly as possible so that you could make it in one sitting. But there are a lot of things to explore in those games, and they are games that I do actually enjoy taking my time on. And of course, there's always the whole being able to pick up where you left off thing, because when I was a kid, I may have had more time to sit and play a game over and over till I got it right, but I 
definitely don't have that anymore. And as a result, whenever I want to play a Sonic game these days, I really go to Sonic 3 or Sonic CD or Sonic & Knuckles because those games do save after each group of levels. So I can sit and play for 10 minutes and then, you know, come back a couple of days later and pick up where I left off. So while the Sonic games aren't uh, patched yet, I believe they're on Billy Time Games' list to do so, but there's other a long list of other games that there already are patches out there for. And I think if you're a fan of the Genesis and you want uh, you want an easier way to experience the games where you don't have to do them all in one setting or just like I ex- uh, described before, a way to take your time and explore these games without having to rush through them, I would take a look at the romhacking.net page that has all of the patches on there and see if any games that you currently play are on there. If you want to be a beta tester, just follow Billy Time Games on Twitter. I have links to both of those things. Um, And beta in-progress patches are all available there for you to try out before they're marked as completed and posted on romhacking.net. And I just think it's a very cool way to kind of change the experience of these games. Uh, Also, if you're a fan of Eternal Champions, uh, I keep I kept forgetting to write it up, so I figured I would just include it in this. But Billy Time Games has also worked on trying to clean up Eternal Champions and make it more playable. And uh, I know the Sega CD version is generally thought of as being a little bit less broken than the Genesis version, uh, but I would highly recommend trying the patch because I always felt that Eternal Champions had the potential to be an awesome game. You know. Especially, not just that it's an exclusive fighter for the Genesis, but it was a cool concept. The game looked good. The Sega CD version sounded great. So I would absolutely love to see that game progress into something a lot more playable and uh, a little more enjoyable than now. And I know some people disagree. Some people like the game the way it is. Some people absolutely hate it. And uh, I I like it, but I want to really like it, if that's the good way to describe it. So... Definitely check out this post with links to absolutely everything that you would want to know about these different patches and the different games. And uh, a giant thank you to Billy Time Games for taking the time to do all this stuff. The developer experiments has just completely overhauled the user interface for the GBS control project. If you're an existing user, all you have to do is repeat the last setup step where you just download the latest GBS software and flash it via the Arduino software over USB. If you're a new user of the GBS control building your own, everything is the same. This is just now the default UI. So all of the links are the same. The procedure I highlighted in the video is the same. It just now you end up with this UI. And I think it looks great. It's formatted for use in cell phones, which means on your cell phone, it looks perfect. And if you use a desktop browser, it's going to be centered in the browser, which looks good. It's very user friendly. It, it you know, it kind of feels right for what it is that you're doing. I just absolutely liked it. I've seen beta versions of this floating around and uh, I kind of wanted to hold off until it was final and it's pretty much final now and worth an upgrade. The only thing to mention is there's a few typos in it. Uh, The only one that I noticed right away was it's supposed to be the 480p output setting, but it says 480i, 576i by accident, but that's a typo. That's not a functionality change. So if it were me personally, I would recommend just upgrading now and eventually, you know, maybe upgrade again when there's the typos fixed, but the functionality is exactly the same. I think it looks really great and uh, I was happy to take the time to upgrade mine. Now, for anybody that's unaware, the GBS Control is a project that allows you to install a Wi-Fi piece of hardware to reflash and control the original GBS scalers, which without this upgrade of a hardware and software upgrade, 
they're kind of junky scalers. There are a lot of lag. They don't have the features that most people would want. Um, it looks okay, but it's not really the best choice. Whereas once you flash it with this software via the new hardware upgrade, it's a really handy tool with a ton of amazing options. And I know this is a little bit off topic, but I did hear a couple of people make comments like, oh, this is going to be obsolete soon when the OSSC Pro is released. I could not disagree more. I think while, yes, it's a very cool thing to run on flat panel TVs or through scalers or uh, through capture cards, I honestly think that my favorite use of the GBSC since I first found out about it was with all CRTs. So at the moment, I've been using it the most downscaling 480p and 480i to 240p for use on RGB monitors. And that feature works great. It's still a beta feature, so they're, they're, I run into bugs now and then. But overall, it's just a very low lag and awesome downscaler. But it also works great for things like just connecting 15 kilohertz signals to VGA monitors or maybe doing things like zooming in Game Boy or Game Boy Advance games using its zoom function um, so that you could have a full screen Game Boy experience on a CRT. There's a ton of features about this that I honestly think will never be obsolete because they will always be a great pairing with different CRTs. So, you know, if you were on the fence about buying one of these, I would absolutely pick one up, especially if you're a do-it-yourselfer, because the links, even uh, even getting them off of Amazon, you're still talking about 50 bucks maybe to get everything that you could need and a little bit of soldering and a little bit of patience with the software to get a very feature-filled tool. Um you could buy them pre-made for a little bit more, and if you're going to use multiple features of it, I definitely think that it's worthy. Or if you're just using it as a downscaler, because even pre-built, it's still cheaper than all other downscaler options out there that I'm able to find on eBay, and less lag as well than most of them. The other thing too, though, I as I talked about in the original video, I would stay away from the super cheap ones on eBay or AliExpress, because a bunch of us have ordered them and gotten bolts instead of it. That's a true story. I showed a picture of it in the video uh, and you never really know what you're getting. So I would try to find a reputable seller of them. Uh, and you know, if you see one of these for sale for eight bucks, it's probably not real. If it's 20, it's probably real. So uh, just general advice on that. But I am a huge fan of this project. I will always use mine with my CRTs and I really appreciate Experiment's new UI. So thank you to Experiment's. Thank you, of course, to Rama for all of these awesome projects he's been a part of. And uh, definitely check out the video if you want more info on it. Marcus Mitchum has just released a mini version of his Virtual Boy Consolizer case that's designed to hold the Virtual Tap, the Servo PCBs, and even DB Electronics SNES AV Multi-Out connector. So it's uh, it's still a fully functional version of the Consolizer case. It's just a miniature version for people that want something smaller, whereas the original version of it is a little bit wider and kind of feels a little bit more like a console, but this one obviously just takes up less space. And I really love projects like this when, at least in my opinion, are used properly. Uh, I know a lot of people with broken Virtual Boys, and I don't just mean where the the uh, ribbon cables get old and you start getting the interference on the screen. I mean broken, broken. Cracked cases, they went out a flight of stairs and the glass inside broke, so the things that spin are, are completely unsalvageable. And a lot of those people just 
never sold them because they didn't know what to do with them. You know, they didn't want people to piece them out and then throw out the other, you know, usable parts of it. And I think this is the perfect use. Pick up a virtual tap, um, pick up all the parts that you need, and now you can connect this to either an RGB monitor or a VGA monitor, depending on what version that you use. And now you've, you've breathed new life into what was originally a dead or parts virtual boy and cases like this certainly are awesome for it i did see a few people take perfectly good working virtual boys that maybe just needed new ribbons and consoleize them too and you know that's absolutely your choice if that's what you want to do but i was certainly a lot happier to see people use the virtual tap in an actual virtual boy or use these consoleizer cases for broken ones and there were more than enough broken ones to go around so that certainly wasn't an issue but my my, my whiny thoughts aside, uh, thank you very much to Marcus for making this design. Check out the links to all of the stuff, as well as links to the virtual taps if you want to pick that up as well. Uh, and if you're looking for a ROM cart to play the entire Virtual Boy library, please check out the HyperFlash32 video. Ronnie was nice enough to embed that in the post for people that wanted to reference it. But I think that's something that I think both of these things are for all Virtual Boy fans. If you have a broken, unfixable Virtual Boy with a working motherboard, you kind of really should look into one of these. And if you have a virtual boy of any kind, you should probably check out the HyperFlash 32 and see if it's something that you want to integrate into your setup. It looks like the Sindon light gun project has started shipping to reviewers and generally has been getting positive reviews. So for anybody unaware of what this is, this is a light gun that's meant to be used with software emulation, at least at the moment, because it doesn't actually have a light sensor in the front. It has a camera that looks at a TV, and I believe any TV could work, not just CRTs. But this also works in conjunction with a white border that's generated around the screen, which is how it's able to do its tracking. And in the combination of the white border being generated by software and the camera being able to track where it is, is what allows it to be used on flat panels or any displays, not just CRTs. So it's a really interesting concept. I believe they're trying to get it to work with the Mister as well well as even the open source scan converter or maybe just the pro depending on what features are needed but there's a chance that it'll, it would be able to uh, work with original hardware on flat panels the only thing is how it interfaces with the consoles it would need some kind of adapter for that uh, for just the controller port as well as the ability to generate the border so at the moment it really is just for use with software emulation but overall it seems to be pretty cool I have heard people say they did notice the input latency because it's software emulation, controller latency, and all that other stuff, but it's still a good experience overall and certainly a fun way to play some of these games. It's always been my opinion that when it comes to light gun games, I would take uh, quantity over quality. I would much rather play a light gun game via RF on a 36-inch tube CRT TV than via RGB on a 14-inch RGB monitor. Uh, I really do think just having a, a big screen to be able to shoot your 8-bit and 16-bit enemies is a really fun way to experience this. So the thought of using this with a projector or with just a 65-inch flat panel TV, I think would be a ton of fun. So if you're interested in how this works and people's thoughts, check out Neil from Retro Man Cave's video on it. Check out Vanessa's post that kind of summarizes everything. And there's a few others out there as well that I think we'll link to. But overall, it looks like a really cool choice for people that want to use a light gun and software emulation on all displays. And 
hopefully we'll have more choices like this coming up in the future because I do think light gun games in general are always very fun to play, especially if you're just looking for a quick and fun little experience to just have a laugh and kill some time. Before I go, I just wanted to thank everybody that stopped by the CDI live stream last weekend. That was an absolute blast. I had so much fun in every aspect of it. I loved creating the opening video. I never in my life thought I'd get to play the Terminator to my own version of the theme song. So giant shout out and thank you to Ronnie for doing a badass baseline and recording that with me, both the video and the audio. Thanks to my friend Kendall for doing the drums and my buddy Mark who mixed it. And uh, it is kind of both funny and annoying that I get a whole bunch of texts from people that said they liked that guitar tone better than the actual one on my album. Any musicians will understand that sting. <laughs> but I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I thought the stream was fun. I also thought it was hysterical that... We couldn't get, for whatever reason, every time I linked up Yehel's NDI stream, it would always go black and white. So we would reboot, it would be color, and then just turn black and white. So at the beginning of the stream, I made a joke about there being, well, there had to be some kind of you know, hardware malfunction in the CDI stream. And Yehel was like, oh, but your CDI would never malfunction. And it turns out the lid switch was kind of worn and sensitive. So anytime I bumped the table too much, it would reboot. So there were a couple of absolute epic failures that in all honesty i kind of think made the stream even funnier so uh if you're interested in the experience of what the Philips cdi is like uh, i would definitely recommend watching it at the very least watch like the first you know watch the opening please because i'm so proud of that and then you know maybe skim through and watch the thunder in paradise part because in all honesty that is one of the best if not the best full motion video game i've ever played um you know, I, I do make a lot of jokes about the CDI because it is pretty much the worst game console, but it's not supposed to be a game console. It's, you know, the Philips Compact Disc Interactive multi Multimedia System. You know, it was designed in a time where not everybody had a computer. So they were trying to sell this to rich kids with a keyboard and mouse so it could be their computer, their encyclopedia, their game console all in one. Um, and, you know, from that point of view, from the time period, I would say it did its job. When you try to approach it as a game console like we did, you could immediately point out its flaws. But overall, this was just a really cool thing to experience. If you want more info on the CDI as well as a laugh, check out Top Hat Gaming Man's video on it. Because while parts did get silly and enjoyable, it was a really level-headed view of the CDI, which is why I called it that and did a write-up of it a while back. So... Once again, thanks to everybody who joined and had a good time with us on that. Thanks to Yahel for making all the Terminator effects and for doing this silliness with me. Uh, and I'm going to put the opening at the end of this video because you know what? It's shameless self-promotion, but we worked hard on that. I love the song. I love the video. It made me laugh. So that's how we're going to end this. So thank you all very much for watching and listening. Thanks to everybody that plays nicely in the comments. Thanks to Low Rent Kano for joining us on the CDI live stream. Anybody watching on audio is not going to get that. My apologies. Apologies. Uh, and we'll see you all next week. So thank you all very much and uh, take care. One day, well, one day I'll get you on one of my uh, CDI live streams and uh... convert you to the cult. It's the only console powerful enough to bring it to you. How are you doing? Thunder in Paradise shooter game is like really, really well done. It's different. And I and I had like the infrared controller. So I gave the CDI a chance. And 
But then I learned what it really means to be a kid. It's the ISIS! Get to the chopper!